Hello and welcome to another edition of Up Your Lives, a QPR podcast. The last few podcasts we've had some decent feedback because the guests have been good. So this week we've ruined it by inviting Clive Whittington back. <laughs> oh, fair enough, mate. Yeah, no, I you teed that up very nicely. I'm good, mate. How are you? Not too bad, not too bad. And we've got Simon back. And everyone thought you asked very good questions in the last few weeks, Simon. I'm very impressed. You've been a good addition to the podcast and welcome back for another week. Yeah, fun. thanks a lot, Paul. And as I say, yeah, lovely to hear the feedback. And yeah, just go back to it again. I thought Dobson was absolutely brilliant on it. And for someone to be that direct and that honest on something like this is really good. And I think it gives people a lot more understanding about what they're trying to do. And yeah, you may not agree with what he's saying on certain things, but you can't you can't accuse him of not being transparent. So, yeah, I thought he was superb last week. And he's definitely one of our own. I know it's often the thing, and you know this as well as anyone, Clive and Simon, other QPR fans, and you ask them three questions, and you're like, yeah, they, they, they might have an interest in QPR, but but he is proper. And, you know, which is, and to be fair, they don't have to be QPR. I never understood why clubs do that sometimes. They don't have to be QPR fans to be loved. They just have to be good at the job. But there you go. That's his mantle. Now, John Reese, everyone knows his Dutty's dad, um, had a moan at me that you couldn't hear me. Some people said it's a good thing, but I went off and brought, brought a microphone. So now you can hear me. If you want to blame anyone, it's John, and I think he sits in the paddocks. So you can have a shout at him. Now, we're going to talk firstly about Sunderland because it was one of them games where you kind of you, you anticipate a decent game, a good standard of football, <clears> and you turn up and it just went absolutely per shift after 10 minutes. If anyone could explain to me what Colbeck was thinking, I want to hear it now. I, for the life of me, to do that tackle in the middle of the pitch, cannot fathom. Clive, I'm going to let you start off. What was he thinking? I th- I mean, in the first 10 or 15 minutes on Saturday, there'd been two or three things that I think most championship referees would have booked people for. Um, I think Paul Smith should have been booked for putting the guy in the hoardings quite early. Um, there was another challenge that I can't bring to mind straight away that at the, at the time I thought, oh, it's a bit lenient. So the guy's obviously trying to let the game go and be a bit lenient. And I just wonder whether if he had booked those people when he should have done, whether Colbert would have thought twice about doing what he did. That said, given that the guy was 10 yards inside his own half and we had two covering defenders, to make a challenge like that, like he's running through on goal and the whole world depends on it, I'm not sure that Colbeck's sort of capable of rational thought anyway because it was just it was just a dim thing to do. And sadly, Sutherland are obviously a very good team. I think they're going to be easily top six this year, probably possibly higher than that. And it was the only day of summer we've had. Wasn't it? <laughs> like, like, it's, it's pissed with rain all summer. It's pissing with rain tonight. But randomly on one day, it was a billion degrees and we had to chase around a, a very young and good Sunderland team in, in extreme heat. So, yeah, not ideal. Having gone 1-0 up and got the crowd into the game and whatever, I, I suspect Sunderland might have been too good for us anyway, but I, w- I, w- I wish we could have seen it play out. It was a It was a dumb thing to do. We put a lot of... PR and stock behind signing experienced players and wiser older heads and leaders 
this year. They've beaten us over the head with that, you know, about how wonderful this is going to be and how brilliant it is that these guys have come to play for us. And one of them let you down very, very badly there. And Andy's banned for three games and you you, you, you saw us last night without him. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was dumb. Was it a case of perhaps he knew the occasion was going to get to him because the Sunderland fans are going to be rattling them and he was pre-rattled, such a word. We put in a bad tackle at Middlesbrough, the one that Dazelle got us out of. He could, oh. have been, he could have been sent off in the build-up to that. It's just that Colbat does have that in his game. He's always been that sort of that sort of player. Um, but yeah, when you're relying on these experienced players to come in and provide us leadership and everything that Gareth has said for one of them to do to then go and do that, it was uh, yeah. Like I say, I just I just wonder if the referee had been more severe in the first 15 minutes, whether he would have thought twice about it. But then. I don't think a lot of conscious thought went went into what he was doing. It was just stupid. Dense as a dying son, as uh, as Simo said when he did it. <laughs> but the thing is, it's, it's interesting because after that Simon, the referee lost control, in my opinion. Um, because it's enough and everything else, it just got a bit, I don't know, a bit weird. Well, I mean, if you go back to what Clive said, you could almost make an argument he didn't have control of the game in the first place. There's so many times where we talk about surrounding surrounding referees and that sort of thing isn't is is meant to be clamped down on. And quite clearly, during the callback one, yes, it's a poor challenge, but five six Sunderland people running around a referee Mowbray in the referee's ear for the first 15, 20 minutes, it's that sort of thing there where if a referee allows himself to be influenced and it goes back to all of the time the referees don't follow actual laws of the game and make things and make things more difficult for themselves. So, yeah, pretty much after that, he, he I don't recall him getting much rights apart from I think a lot of people moaned about the eight minutes added time. I have to say I didn't have much of a problem with that because you had a couple of injuries, you had the sending off, you had his earpiece changing. And that sort of thing. So I've got no, I had no complaints about the eight minutes, but a lot of the other, a lot of the other things were really bad. Armstrong, yeah, you could see we talked about potentially him maybe getting a red card this season. Ainsworth did exactly the right thing taking him off because he was a red card. He was a red card waiting to happen that game. And yeah, it's, he, the referee certainly didn't help the situation, but I think for me, the bigger concern was um, there was a bit in the first half where we had about three breakaways, where I think Dazelle had one, Chair had a couple. So actually, the way we were going to be playing anyway, I thought was, was still going to be very similar. But I think the thing which killed us was the equaliser. And it was after the equaliser, we were almost like... Yeah, what do we do now? Because then in the second half, right at the beginning, I generally don't know what yeah, what the plan was apart from just stick 18 men behind the ball, have Sinclair about 40 yards in front and ping a load of balls and hope for the best. So I think going forward, one of the things we need to be looking at is, and, it, and we'll talk about that with Swansea and how we play at home. Yeah, we play that way away from home and it works, but at home... I still think there's a lot of um, adapting we need to do. The gold kicks were making me kind of cringe because he looked like he, was, he had banana feet on. It was ridiculous. And when you're down to 10 men, especially when some of them were using the ball so well, and they you know, they were they were pretty textbook in what they were doing. They were stretching us as far as the heat was insane. And, but it doesn't help when you can't even get one past your own players. I mean, what the hell was that about, Clive? The gold kicks were weird. Or am I being harsh? 
The only the only thing I would say is that Sunderland are a big team. You know, mm. it's all there's there's some big lads in that in that Sunderland outfit, and we are not particularly. I was just running it through in my mind. Um, unless Dykes is on, which obviously he's he was later on in the game. Um, so my suspicion is that they think if they kick it down, if he kicks it down the middle, then more often than not, we're going to lose that first contact and that first header, and it's going to be coming back at us down the middle of the pitch. So they kick it, they're kicking it wide um, to limit the damage if we do lose the header and try and win throw-ins off them and get us up the pitch. The problem with that is you've got Kenneth Parle, who's who's not bad in the air, but is, what, five, 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 six, and Paul Smith on the other side, who, you know, is also a midget. Um, so a lot of the, a lot of the kicks are going into touch. That you know that that I th- I suspect is the thinking behind it. Begovic, I think, has been a bit weird on a lot of fronts since he came here. He's had some terrific games. Um, obviously kept the score down at Watford, but a couple of the Watford goals were poor goals to concede from a, from a goalkeeping point of view. Was very very good up at Middlesbrough, but. Costas the game at Southampton. You know, I just saved that first Southampton goal myself. And again, we'll come on to the Swansea game last night. And obviously their goal shouldn't have stood, but it's poor goalkeeping again to punch the ball into the guy in the way that he did. So again, as I said with Colbeck, they've made a big deal out of bringing in experienced players. And these guys are going to be our leaders and, you know, set the culture and it's exactly, you know, it is what we needed. We've always said that the team lacks leadership and lacks voice and whatever, but you've you've got a guy, Begovic, who is at the end of his career. He's been on the bench for one of the worst Premier League teams for the last two years. He's coming and Gareth is like eulogising about him, but he's, he, you know, he's been up and down. His stats are really good because he's made loads and loads of saves in a couple of games, Watford and Middlesbrough. So he keeps getting in like who scored championship team of the season and things so far. I, th- I think he's been a bit weird overall, um, and his kicking is is all over has is all over the show, not just on Saturday. Should he be captain? We don't. I don't. They they would know far more about that. What's who's the lead? Who's the best guy in the dressing room? Who's doing the talking? You know, Steve Cook isn't the captain, but seems to me to be doing most of the of that work. You know. Was was Tarapt really the captain in the 2010-11 season? You know, we all know it was Derry and Hill and people like that. I, you can put a lot of stock in things like that. And look, the management know. And Dobson and Ainsworth, as Dobson was saying on your podcast last week, they're massive on things like that. So if if they think he should be captain, I reckon that's pro- that's probably good enough for me. And it's probably based on what he's won and everything else. We won't say who he's won them with because that's annoying. But it's because of what he's won the game. Um, right, the goal was good, love. Carl's goal was he took that well. Fair play to so, him. I mean, we are we are seeing the goals. I suppose one way you can look at it is our strikers aren't scoring, albeit last night. Um, so we are showing the goals out. Otherwise, it would be a bit of a worry. But he, he took that well. To be fair, this is a shame he didn't hit it in the last minute. And it was nil nil. That'd be that that'd be a great goal to win a game on. But hey ho, um, for the Sunderland fans, okay, it's interesting the Saturday how how different it is with the packed away end and stuff like that there and. It, the atmosphere was really good up until it all went pear-shaped. But there you go. That's strange for you. Build you up and then kick you off the top of the hill again and kick you right back down. Right, I'm going to go on to my favourite subject, Clive, as you all know. 
I, I have memories. I don't know if you remember this, Clive. You probably don't. Why should you? But it was funny. I once got accused of asking the worst question a fan's form ever, which is brilliant because I wasn't even fecking there. Um, <laughs> it's one of them ones of like same old faces. Oh, and that Finney you got up with his little podcast crew. <laughs> really? Have they seen Alan and Cindy? Really? The last worst group you could ever have. Um, and he asked the most ridiculous up your own arse question was obviously given to him by the board. And I'm like, that's handy because at that point I was in the pub, but hey ho, whatever. So they haven't got the best of reputations and I didn't get listened to most of it because the dog was standing on my head and I had to give up. What was your take from the fans for me? Rubens, obviously, and Amit's first one. So that was interesting. I'm very, very welcomed as well. Yeah, it's straight. I mean, I I see the criticism every time there is a fans forum that it's same old faces asking the same old questions. Um, and and it is, <laughs> it is, but not for the reason that the people say. I think the people the people on social media who say that think that it's engineered that way by the club and it's closed shop, and they basically invite people who are going to give them an easy ride. Um, to I think I saw one person tweet last week protect their access and positions. I like I'd love to know what sort of access and position. You know, I'm I'm protecting QPR because I I get fuck all, um, and 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 wouldn't take it and wouldn't take it if it was offered. Um, It's you know, as a fan site, we we get access to it to cover it. I think forty percent of the rest of the tickets are top loyalty points holders, and then fifty percent are people that emailed expressing an interest to go. I know people that have emailed them saying, can I have a ticket? And you just get one. I've never, like, if somebody listening to this has emailed them and said, can I come and been refused, then let me know because I've never heard of it. It's the same old faces asking the same old questions because those that is the demographic and the people in our support base that are willing and want to give up a Monday night to go to the QPR fans forum. It is, those are the 200 people that do it. There isn't a queue around the block of like two or 3,000 people that are absolutely desperate to go to a fans forum on a Monday night at QPR and ask questions of, of the club. So that's the first thing. I found this one really, really strange in its in its tone because when I saw Amit and Ruben were on the panel, which I think is long overdue, and should have happened before and should be a regular thing. I think there should always be a board member on the panel of those things to front up because they basically previously sent Lee Hughes and Les Ferdinand out to do that for them. But it's the owners that call the shots. So that was good and long overdue. But when the announcement was made, all the replies were, whoa, this is going to be tasty. You know, ask them why they haven't, ask them why they're not spending money. Ask them why they haven't signed a striker. Ask them why they're not backing the manager. Ask, you know, I was like, okay, this, this is going to be feisty. And then I get there, and honestly, I had to check halfway through on my Google Maps to make sure I hadn't fallen asleep on the central line and ended up at the Ipswich Town Fans Forum by mistake because it just the whole tone of the evening felt to me like a team that is doing great, like probably fourth, fifth in the league, you know, five wins on the board already, managers doing a great job. You know, I'm not I'm not criticizing people who got up and spoke because look, I was there. I could have taken the microphone and asked a question at any point. The reason I tend not to at those things is because I think people have heard quite enough from me and I get enough opportunities to go down and interview people without me standing up and grandstanding. Yeah. So I, you know, I could have asked a question if I'd wanted to. So I'm not criticizing individual questions. I'm just saying that the tone of the evening when 
you know, at one stage we were giving three cheers for Andy Sinton and at another stage we were th- just thanking the panel for turning up and giving us the opportunity to be in the same room as them. The whole tone of the evening just felt to me like a club that is brilliantly run, has very few problems other than the cost and the quality of the pies, which we spent 10 minutes on. Wow. Just, I was like... Is it just me? This this team has won one of 18 home games and in the middle of that put the prices of the season tickets up. I'm like, is it just me sitting sitting there thinking this is a bit odd? I just found the whole tone of the thing odd. And I suspect even if you had it next Monday, because obviously we didn't win last night, if we don't win at Birmingham on Friday, which is a difficult game, I suspect even if you have it next Monday, the tone might be slightly different. I just found the tone completely at odds with where we are at the moment personally that's interesting because out of interest oh, okay i've got up the ask what was the question in pose they said they'd had so many questions on catering that they just got the head of the catering company up to talk to us for 10 minutes and to be fair he was very good um, but again we've won one of 18 home games you know we've painted ourselves into an ffp corner when we said we wouldn't do that you know the decisions they made in 2122 have painted us into this corner their decisions nobody else's so i just we like we are still i think very likely to be relegated this year and really? I, just, I just think looking back and so like we spent 10 minutes talking about the pies i just like i say i could have put my hand up and asked the question so you know fine but i just found it a bit weird i was just sitting there thinking is it just me maybe it is just me i know i'm a miserable sod but well you're worse than that um but i mean i don't know i mean i as i said i saw it was hard for me to follow because of all the things going on here so i didn't get to follow but i did see a couple of questions i saw steve says ask a question i've seen joe hilton i think he asked a question but the dog was jumped all over me so i didn't see it at the end I think, Joe's, I think Joe's still there asking his question, actually. <laughs> it's weird, because I saw the catering guy, and I thought, the only question I would ask the catering guy, which is basically like the, the price of the alcohol and things like that, but on the scheme of things, compared to the FFP, I wouldn't certainly put it in the same league. Did did anyone address the FFP? Did anyone address wages, address transfers? Well, can we bring anyone in? Um, the reason we're, getting, we're after a right-back. Any of that asked? Very little. I mean, they basically, they said repeatedly that we're in this season, we are tight for profit and sustainability, but it was never really gone into about how we've ended up in that situation, which, like I say, was their decisions in 21-22 when they didn't sell players when they could have done and they chose to spend money on footballers, which they'd always told us that they'd learned from their mistakes and they wouldn't ever put us in an FFP situation again, and they have. So, no, that didn't really come up. Um which, like I say, I, I found odd. Possibly people are, have just accepted it. And look, that that crowd in that room, I think, is more knowledgeable about FFP and profit and sustainability than perhaps other demographics of our support who think we should just be signing a striker. Mm-hmm. So possibly there is just an understanding in the room. Possibly there is just a weariness of talking about it too much. But no, it didn't come up. It didn't come up as much as you would have expected it to come up if you follow QPR through Twitter. So, I mean, you've read about it like myself and stuff and followed it on the, the old interweb, as they say. Um, were you surprised what was asked, what wasn't asked, and what was your take on it? I think the one thing I want to ask, Clive, is when Amit and Ruben mentioned about redeveloping Loftus Road, and I'll talk about that in a bit, what was the reaction in the forum when that happened? 
yeah, they basically seem to be saying that the the move to a new ground. They basically seem to be saying that they've given up on that. The idea, you know, Linford Christie, I think they described as very very remote, which it was it was always going to be a difficult site. Um, there there were no other realistic sites nearby, and Reuben basically now seems to be hanging his hat on you know making more of Loftus Road. Um, I'm not sure how I would describe the reaction in the room. I'm interested to know what he means because, like, our message board has gone into sort of a multi-page thread about how you could knock down South Africa Road and build a, a new stand that hangs over the road or knock the school down and move the offices there yeah. or, or do this and that and the other. All Ruben really said was he's looking to make more of the site we've got, which at the moment is only used for 25 days a year, which he said a site in West London that's only, a, you know, a venue in West London that's only used for 25 days a year is criminal. Yeah. I wonder if what he means by making more of the site is simply like moving the offices that are on the back of South Africa Road at the moment to Heston or to where the school is or something like that and knocking a few walls down and, you know, having a little bit more event space in the South Africa Road stand. I'm not sure whether it's as dramatic as, you know, actual I, new new stands yeah. and all of that because he did say it's not there's very little point in us increasing the capacity because we couldn't increase it by much and we're not selling out as it is i mean i found that a bit defeatist and i know dave mcintyre has banged the drum for a long time that qpr desperately need to build the support base and don't do enough of that because if you are looking for a new ground you have to be in a position that tottenham were in where every game sold out and you've got a waiting list for season tickets you know Look at the empty seats that were there last night. We don't even sell out the 18,000 stadium that we've got. So I found that a little bit defeatist. We're not even selling it out. So what's the point? You know, they should be marketing and building the support base so that they are selling it out. Um, I do think he was. I do I do wonder if he is just talking about knocking the odd walls through while everybody's sort of getting carried away thinking we're going to build a megadome, you know? <laughs> Personally, I think it will be geared more towards executive boxes. And maybe having somewhere where they could have like, you know, like a big space for maybe doing some kind of corporate hospitality type thing going on, and maybe have a meeting room there where people could go during a week or something like that, or people get married and things like that. It's more because let's face it, by putting a few thousand, then you're not going to raise the revenue, but there's other ways to do it. But you still be able to park <coughs> anywhere near the place. Um. Sorry, that was a dog. Um, but the the other thing is that this has been talked about for years. We've wasted fifteen years on this. I mean, haven't we? We've wasted year after year after year talking about it. Look at other sites, and now we're back at looking at Jack Tizard School, um, Batman Close, and th- doing things that way, which we could have done fifteen. But Jim Jim Freeman yeah. always about it. So, and I think, and I think we can look back on the way we handled both um, the old oak and the Linford Christians. The way it was handled almost in the assumption that, oh, we want a new stadium. Well, what do you mean you're not going to give it for free or anything like that? Has been, yeah, it, it's backfired really, really badly. And I suspect the main protagonist of that's no longer on the board now. So mm-hmm. going going forward, that might be that might be a lot more helpful. Um, we go back a lot when we think about Loftus Road. And I mentioned on my RZN last week we took we took someone for their first game and to be fair to them, despite the result, they quite enjoyed it. Uh, but 
they did mention the fact about the queuing. They did mention about the fact about facilities. They appreciated that one of them was quite tall. And yes, I'm in the lower lofts and in the family stand bit, which is probably about the only place where I can sit down. But it's those sort of things there with legroom and that sort of thing. Loftus Road at the moment is not conducive to bringing to bringing people back. Now, a number of us went to AFC Wimbledon and to be fair, I was quite impressed with how AFC Wimbledon managed to have that little setup within a narrow area, even allowing for the bit which looked boarded up around the opposite side of the goal behind us. And you could potentially do something with that. I think there's opportunities there for us to do some sort of redeveloping. And I'm under no illusions it's not going to increase the crowd size. But if you can have, say, 16,000, 17,000 where it's comfortable for people and we're trying to get people to come and get people to come back, we're going to have a far better opportunity doing that at Loftus Road than we will do risking spending hundreds of million pounds doing, doing something else. But as Clyde rightly says, we, we don't know what's meant by redeveloping it. We don't know how easy it's going to be to relocate the school. I know there's been some rumours that they want to expand so that land could be available, but we just don't know. So in an ideal world, yeah, brilliant. If we can up if we can do Loftus Road, fantastic. But yeah, it's it, and it's certainly going to be something that's gonna gonna last a long time. And that's the other issue as well. I mean there's nothing stopping them from doing little bits and pieces now. Um because along with the leave things the how the bill's gonna be, that's what I've always thought. I've always thought I mean let's face it, if we are going to move it'll be down the A forty corridor miles away from where people want it to be so to me that's not even an option so do the ground up making it better better atmosphere but you're right about that I mean it's something that the EU's always banged on about for years wasn't it Clive that people who came once don't tend to come back if they've got no interest in the club or things like that first time visitors and it's an interesting one but again later later in the forum you know you've you've got Ruben sitting there saying I think there was the sort of elephant in the room, and they did say this, is that previously, and I think, Finney, you just said it, um, somebody previously on the board, Mr. Fernandez, tended to open his trap a little bit about Old Oak Common or uh, Linford Christie, and that would put people's backs up, you know, put car giants' backs up or Friends of Wormwood Scrubs or the council. Uh, council basically accused them of being property speculators saying they just wanted to dump dump QPR off on some council land and then redevelop that whole south side of South Africa road. You know, having people like Jamie Rubin on the board will will put a Labour council's backs up like that, I guess. So I think the elephant in the room was they were desperately trying not to say too much because um, they're obviously, I think they are talking to the council about, about what's going to happen. And it, I think it is Rubin doing the talking now. I think one of the problems previously was that they were using intermediaries and middlemen to to deal with the council, which which was shocking. Number one is expensive, and number two, I don't know. Maybe I'm just old fashioned in these things. For me, if you want to do a deal of that size, you go and see the guy yourself. You don't pay an intermediary. I, I, you know, it's disrespectful and it doesn't look like you're serious if you're doing that. So I think they were trying to keep a little bit of a lid on it. But like I say, at one point you're talking about redeveloping and we're looking more to do with the site. And then not half an hour later, um, the classic question about why the speakers don't work came up. And they were like, <laughs> they were like, well, yeah, the wiring's really old um, and, and a bit shit, but it'll cost us six figures to rewire the place. So we're not going to do it. 
And, you know, like <laughs> those two things are mutually exclusive. Like, are, are you trying to do more with what we've got or or not? Because, you know, if, you, if you're talking about trying to get more people into Loftus Road and use it for different things and have it as an, a venue and use it for more than 25 days, but at the same time you're saying, yeah, the speakers are shit, but it's going to cost us 100 grand to fix them, so we're not going to bother. Those two things are mutually exclusive. Like, and doesn't make any sense. One of the solutions they're talking about is remote remote speakers operated on a Bluetooth system or something. Well, good luck getting a signal inside Loftus Road, guys. But apparently one of the, one of the player's dads is into this, so they're talking to him about it. And I just like that the phrase that we've said a few times before that QPR are the biggest, smallest club and the smallest, biggest club. You know, we're, we're trying to get back in the Premier League and compete and whatever. But, you know, we've got one of the players' dads trying to sort the speaker system out and the sprinklers coming on during the match, you know. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, love, I love us. I just, I, I obviously, I love it. I've spent my whole life on it and you know, QPR till I die and all of that. But we are mad. Like, we're just so <laughs> mad. We're going to redevelop our stadium. Oh, yeah, but pro- probably leave the wiring where it is, I reckon. Like- <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's just, that's crazy. Uh, I suppose on the, on the side of it, was it was it a worthwhile exercise? Did you come away thinking, well, I feel so much more at ease now I've been to that fan spot, but did you come away thinking, well, that's Monday night t- taking care of, I'll never get that time back again. But look, you know what I think because I've I've said. But what I what I would say and is a lot of champions, a lot of clubs. In fact, I would say more clubs than than not don't have anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's up to us to go there and ask better. Quite like I say, I should have probably like if I've come away thinking I wish this had been asked. Well, I should have just shut up and done it, shouldn't I? So, yeah. a lot of clubs don't have access like that and a fans forum event i think i think they are very very important this one i found a bit weird um but one of the local journos who worked down here for a while phil spencer who's a middlesbrough fan he's back up at middlesbrough and obviously they have spent money and are bottom of the league and people are asking questions about recruitment and steve gibson and whatever and i saw phil spencer tweet last year that when he was at qpr they used to have a fans forum once a year where you could go you can go and put your hand up and take hold of the microphone and ask whatever you like of them um you know the, there was the guy last year who went specifically to ask why they'd released his kid from the youth team and like absolutely hilarious but fair play to the guy who wanted to go and ask that question he put his hand up picks up the microphone and asked that question a lot of clubs don't have that so no, as you're... much as as much as I take the piss out of it, I do it through love and because just taking the piss is what I do. I think we are lucky to have that access. And a lot of clubs, when you look at what's going on at like my old local club, Scunthorpe at the moment, which has been passed from one dodgy geezer to another, and the fans have just got no way of controlling that or asking the guy questions. You know, look at what's happening at Sheffield Wednesday at the moment with bloody okay. Derek Derek Acora or whatever his name is, the owner. Um, just you know, we are fortunate to have that access. I think the fact that we use it for weird stuff like talking about pies and whatever is just because we're a really weird club. <laughs> well, I, I mean, my try to take Simon and Clive. My biggest fear of the fans form is actually turning up and asking a question because if I if I if I'm told they ask shit questions when I'm not there. Imagine the stick I'm going to get if I actually turn up and ask a really shit question. So, yes, but it's I I've always found that people can get access to them. It's not a closed shop, and it's it, I think it's pretty easy to get access to these things. It's, it's 
just send them an email, go. And then if you, if your question is not asked and you feel ignored, then have every right to have a go back. And they should be, the people who ask the questions do get maligned a lot. And I think it's a bit sad, really, because, you know, people give up the money dies. I don't know. It's, I mean, you can't turn around to Ruben and say, listen, I expect us to sign a £15 million striker by Tuesday and the speakers aren't working downstairs. But, you know, it's, it's just not going to happen. We're just... Mate, just to, just to add, the timing of the of these is is always interesting. Um, you know, I remember I remember being at a fans forum with you and Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank being asked how he would uh, recruit and prepare his squad for the Premier League the following summer if it happened. And then a week later, we lost six nil at home to Newcastle. So if you have that forum a week later, a week later he'd been in a Telegraph expose and we'd lost six nil to Newcastle. So the forum would have been very different a week later. This forum, if we happen to get beat by Birmingham and Coventry. And then you have the forum a week on Monday. Very, very different forum. You know, the forum The forum last year was basically Mick Beale being carried around like bloody King Julian in Madagascar, wasn't it? You know, and Lee who's calling him a gem of a manager and things like that. And then obviously all that went to shit. If you'd had a... Can you imagine if you'd had a fans forum in March or April? Oh, Jesus. Can you imagine how that would have gone? So the timing of it... I'm a little bit cynical. I suspect they might have, like, let's get the fans for him in nice and early this year. Um, because I suspect they know how it's going to go. Um, but the time, the timing of it, obviously, I mean, it's a basic thing to say, and I've said it in a long winded way because that's how I am. But the timing of these things does affect the content a lot. I, w- I would like to think they will do another one, Simon, before the end of the season. Now, Simon, before we go on to Swansea. How did Ted get on? I don't know if you've touched on it a little bit, but the, the, is his friend still talking to him? Does she hate him for taking her to QPR? What happened? Now, do you know what? Not in the slightest. So, obviously, we saw you before. And, I, um, yes. yeah, they, they watched the game with limited interest in the first half. Ted, ironically, always complains when we score because it's too noisy. So, thankfully for him, he hasn't had that much to worry about no. over the last, over no, the last my, year. My yeah, I've had that problem. Yeah, I know, absolutely. <laughs> but... Yeah, he was, he was moaning that it was getting very, very loud in the first half because everyone was was into the game a fair old bit. And as I say, he has come on really, really well, where even when we were scoring goals two, three years ago, he would burst into tears. There was one game where we put the Cardiff game where we won 6-1. Um, by about the fifth goal, I was almost begging us to stop scoring because every time we scored, he'd just end up bursting into tears. And I had to take him out to the back because he wasn't able to listen to it. So he's come on a lot and he's really enjoying it. Um, yeah, his friend his friend enjoyed it as well. Ted's used to us losing at home. And unfortunately, he's not gone to that many away games. He's not gone to that many away games. We're going to aim for that this season. But, he's, um, but yeah, look, he does enjoy it. But his, his biggest highlight was him and his friend going to Hammersmith Park and me sat there watching them up on a slide for two hours after the game and that was their that was their ultimate highlight. But look, despite the results, he is still he is still trying to enjoy it, even though he's keeping on saying, I want to support Man City, Dad. And I'm like, no, nah, not happening. Well you could do that some, but I'm not paying for it. So you either come with me to QPR and I'll pay for you, or you can go and support someone else and I'll have nothing to do with it. But he's got the message, but I think he enjoyed it on the whole. And make your own way in this world, son. Absolutely. He'll thank me for it one day. And, and do you know what? It'll be his job to take over from us at the fans' forum and ask about pies. You've got to make that happen as well. Knowing my son, he probably will do. 
Excellent. No, yeah. Do I, do I find depressing, Sally? And we will go this one in a minute. It's coming back on the train and so many Sutherland fans, and there was Luton and then there was Fulham. And it's surprising how many fans Fulham have picked up over the years. You know, there's, there's, there's a feeling in the years that, you know, don't worry about Fulham, don't worry about Brentford. We're a far bigger club than them. I'm finding now when they're both playing, I've never seen a Brentford fan in, in Barnet or a Fulham fan, and I'm, I'm saying I'm worrying about them. So that's depressing. And that was a depressing train journey, I can tell you. I mean, it's interesting. I've started working in a school in Dunstable. So I've started, um, so I'm in prime Luton territory. And it's interesting. There's quite a few of the older kids are going to watch Luton on a regular basis. And you can already tell within the sort of first four games that the um, enthusiasm of the Premier League is beginning to wear off a little bit. So I gave them the sort of benefit of my my regular experience of the Premier League and just told them by the end of it, you're going to absolutely hate it. And they were, and yeah, I think they're almost at a stage now where they can see that it's going to be tricky there. And look, it's not very easy for people like them because, yeah, we we all know this, turning up with the expectation you're not likely to win, the novelty ends up, the novelty ends up wearing off. So, It'll be an interesting. It'll be an interesting one with them to see how they how they go. But yeah, it doesn't look overly promising so far. Hopefully, crash and burn. Um, oh yeah, but there is there is that, and but the the media loved that little away end. Not sure I did. Right, Swansea last night. It was quite depressing. I didn't get going last night because everyone in this house was going out to see a play, and I had to look after the dog because he's too young. So yeah, I missed it, and I watched it on. Um, no, I didn't. It's illegal. Um, I am. Um, I, I. 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 Yes. Oh no. Was it? Yes. I should edit that out, but I can't be asked. Anyway, I watched the game, and it was a weird old game, wasn't it? It was kind of like their goal was, as Clive said earlier on, was ridiculous. It was a handball, but how that cross got across in the first place and how it wasn't cleared, I'll never understand. It, it sort of trick. It was embarrass. It was an embarrassing goal. And um, I just felt there was just something missing. Right, we didn't really get going. Clive, what was your take on it? And there's the big positives for me. I mean, what a goal! What a great like the assist and the header. I mean, typical Linden, we'd put three much better crosses than that in in the previous ten minutes, and he'd got nowhere near any of them. And then the most difficult chance, he arcs his body and gets his head on it and scores a brilliant goal. So fair, fair play for that. Fair play for keeping going. Um, I think last year they would have given up long before the end and drifted off into a one or a two nil defeat. Um, they kept going, they kept putting it in, they they really plugged away and deserved deserved the equaliser they got. I thought there were some good individual performances. I think Powell's playing well and played well again last night. I I came away with him as man of the match, but everybody else has told me it was chair, so I'll probably give it to chair when I eventually get round to posting the match report. Uh, but Field played well, uh, chair played well, Paul and Paul Smith is again just beating fullbacks over and over again. His delivery was sort of here, there, and everywhere. One of them went from the Ellerslie Road stand into the South Africa Road stand, which you don't see very often. But he's exciting to watch. They kept going; you couldn't fault the effort. They scored a great goal and they recovered a point from a losing position, which. Since Gareth's come in, we've been in losing positions 14 times and picked up one point at West Brom last Easter, I think. So to to get a point from a losing position is is valuable and will hopefully give them that belief and give them that reward for just keeping plugging away and keeping going. So 
those were the positives I took from it. The negatives are, I think you'll wait a very, very long time this season to play a team as poor as Swansea were. Um, they look like I was under Neil Critchley to me. They're not having their new manager. He's on his last legs after losing to Cardiff. They should just bloody call it quits now because everyone knows who they want. They want the Notts County manager. This one hasn't worked. He's on borrowed time. The players just, apart from the first sort of five or six minutes when they came out and caught us a little bit cold, they basically looked like they didn't want to know. I thought they looked a really poor team, Swansea. There for the taking. And we were clunky and sluggish. None of the good stuff that you saw against Middlesbrough, Southampton, Ipswich. The game was so utterly devoid of quality. I, I, I you, you won't see a. I, I'd be amazed. Maybe Millwall, Rotherham tonight. To be fair, but yeah, I'd be amazed if you see a worse game of Championship football this year than that. It was a bleak watch. I thought it had gone. I didn't think we'd get the point. So I'm pleased that we did. But I'm, I'm concerned. You know, the home record goes on. I think Swansea were there for the taking of a poor side, and we didn't do enough to win. We didn't. Yeah, I came away. I didn't even really celebrate that much when Dyke scored because he's just like, okay, fair enough, good. But also, my God, it was a huge missed opportunity and we can't afford to miss opportunities like that this year because most of the teams we play this year are going to be better than us. There's not going to be many chances to win games. And when you get a chance like that last night against an opposition that didn't even really look that interested in the game themselves, most of the Swansea fans online were hoping they lost to get rid of the manager. So to turn that into a point, you know, Albeit their goal shouldn't have stood, as we said, but yeah, it was bleak. I just I found it a really bleak watch. Did you find it a bit of a duff game as well, Simon? Yeah. Yes, I did. Um, in fact, I came away slightly more concerned after the Swansea game than I did Sunderland because I think you could see in the first half what we were trying to do, even with the even with the Colbat sending off and. We spoke to Dobson last week, didn't we? And we asked the question about how do you think we can offset the away form and the home form? And you could see that this was a side who were more than happy to sit back after the first 15 minutes. And yeah, I'm not entirely I'm not entirely sure. The plan seemed to be either boot the ball over the top and see if Paul Smith can get behind it, which he managed to do on a few occasions. Um, Sinclair, bless him, yeah, struggled a bit last night. But again, that was another one where we're flying balls down his throat, down the middle. And yeah, that's not really his game. That's not really his style. What surprised me was that at halftime, we were talking around us. I was expecting Dykes to come on and potentially have Armstrong on the left, chair in the middle and Smith on the right, and then potentially play down, play down the wings that way. And that didn't happen. And... It was interesting. Armstrong, Dykes coming on on the 60th minute was the right decision. But I think we could tell that Willock was absolutely Willock was absolutely spent on 60 minutes. And to then keep Willock on for that, for that last 10 minutes didn't really help. And I think if that was one where I think potentially Gareth could have made, made some changes a little bit earlier and been a bit, little bit more proactive because, bless him, Kelman struggled. Kelman struggled a little bit when he came on. Collie did o, Collie did okay when he came on. Um, but I think potentially, particularly after that first half, the first half was really stodgy. Um, he could have ended up making a few changes a bit earlier and perhaps been a bit more been a bit more proactive. We played really well 
for the first hour at Cardiff with Armstrong as the top man and Dykes behind him. And that mm. was because I don't, Colbat wasn't mm. ready for Cardiff, was he? I'm, I haven't looked at it. No, he wasn't. But... So Colbat didn't. So that's what I thought we were going to go to. Mm. And I'm like you. So I was surprised that Dykes didn't start with Armstrong because I thought we really needed to get at Swansea. And actually the first five or six minutes leading to their goal, it was them that came at us. And I wonder if we, you know, QPR are never more lethal when you think they're going to win a game, right? And maybe we took it a bit lightly and whatever. And Swansea came at us in the first five minutes around the other way. So I was surprised that we didn't start with Dykes and Armstrong. I'm torn on, I think, like, we're struggling to make impact from the bench and change games from the bench. And I think some of Gareth's substitutions are a bit weird and wonderful. That's a kind way of putting it. However, to give like Gareth sympathy and, and empathy and whatever, there is no strength in depth in our squad. And when you look along that bench, you do want, you know, you do think, well, what is there there really to to change a game with? Um, so I, w- I was surprised we didn't start Dykes. I suspect Dykes was surprised we didn't start Dykes as well. I think, and I think, you know what? Armstrong needs Dykes big time. He needs that experience. In the same way that Dykes did well with Austin when he, when he came back on, on and helped him out. It's just it's just yeah, I think Sinclair's beginning I mean he he wasn't happy being subbed on Saturday and he, he, he didn't seem happy last night as well. He's 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 annoyed at himself and you know, I'd like to see at home you listen, Swans with her for taking they're an awful team. Um they don't like the manager, they don't like themselves. They got beat by Cardiff as Clive already quite rightly said and they, they just didn't see you say that they remind you of Chris. It reminded me of flipping Paul Hart. They just want him out of the club. ASAP. Get rid. Get someone else in. Get going. Because they're, they're not that bad of a side. They're just not. Um, so it'll be interesting what we do do. We'll talk about it in a second in, in Birmingham. The, the, the only thing I do worry about is Willock. Are we, should we persist with him? Should we give someone else a go? Is he bringing anything in? Has he mentally departed? The club, Simon. Is it? Is he? Is it? What? Or will he come good? And we're just being. I'm just being stupid. I said it before on the pod a lot that Willock's actually got to play. He's got to play games in order to get a decent club. So it's it's entirely in his hands. In the first in the first half, there were little glimpses, um, but no way near enough to what he'd be like two years ago. To his credit, the cross that he put in for Paul Smith was terrific. And it was a shame that it was a shame that Smith was offside. But yeah, that was that was the sort of Willock I could recall from old. So there were little there were little signs there, but he's only capable at the moment of playing about 55, 60 minutes before you could see him before the end, just sort of like looking at his hamstring, clutching his hamstring. And I think he was almost asking to be taken off at that stage. Again, it goes back to the frustration. We know what he can do, but Whilst he's showing little glimpses like he did yesterday, he's in no way near the level that A, he was two years ago, B, we need him at, and C, what he needs to be in order to get himself a decent club in the summer. C is the point. Like, his dad thinks he's getting 40 grand a week on the free transfer market next summer. Well, he's had three hamstring injuries and he's played like a tart for a year now. So, you know, he, he might get his move, but I think he might, you know, it also, don't think that people in football don't talk. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, look at the players we released in the summer and how many of them still haven't got a club. Yeah. 
people people do notice what's going on. So this idea that he's basically been running his contract down for about two and a half years. They've been eyeing the free the free transfer next up. But he, we cannot afford with the squad that we've got to have Chris Willett not involved and not playing, but he needs to pull his finger out. Same as Taylor Richards. It's ridiculous that Taylor Richards is not even making the bench for this QBR team. Like, does the personal embarrassment at once at some stage not kick in with these guys? Like, you can't get in that team. Like, yeah, I thought he, I thought he was mediocre. Like you put it down maybe to match fitness and whatever, but he's been mediocre. You know, this time last year he was absolutely flying. But you, you tell me the last time Chris Willett played well? No, I can't. I mean, it, I know Richard was asked about the fans' form, and I, I, I listened to what they said, but and I listened to Dobson last week. It's clear there's some serious personal issues going on with with him. Which Kieran, makes- uh, Kieran Richardson, they called him the guy. I like again. Shouldn't pick on people asking questions or whatever, but yeah, the guy asking the question called him Kieran Richardson. Really? And, I'm like, and I'm not sure whether they like I mean, whether it be Kieran Richardson who retired in 2016 at Cardiff or Kieran Richardson who's in Hollyoaks. Like whichever one it be, they would both have been a better signing than Taylor Richards. Well, to be fair, if you, yes, indeed. But um, you could maybe even qualify for one of the Irish teams with that. But there you go. It's but it, it just it's clear there's issues going on there, and I'm wondering how wise it was a to get Malone, but even b why the hell do we sign him? Um, when obviously this isn't a new thing for him. People talk of football, and it's the same with Willock. People will be talking, and at last I heard him was just trying to get a trial at Hibs. I don't know if it actually happened. He went down there or whatever, but you know it just shows you that sometimes when you go away, people will not pick you up as fast as you want. And the thing about Willock is people will notice that he hasn't been putting an effort in the last two and a half years and will they want to take the risk of having a good player for a year and the rest of it he's trying to engineer moves somewhere else who knows but there was a bit when he crossed in last night where I thought it was going to go out for a corner and the keeper just grabbed it there was no effort in that one at all and that was really disappointing because he's better than that let's yeah. call it what it is he's a good good player and it's embarrassing that he's not performing the way it's embarrassing that Taylor Richards or Kieran is the namesake, isn't out there playing. Because we need everyone. We haven't, Clive, you said it yourself. We've got Albert Adome on the bench, who's, who's nearly as old as me. We've, you know, <laughs> we, have bench. we need these players to turn up. We can't be spending 350 or whatever it is in players and them just to go missing. It's it's a nonsense. And yeah, that's, that, that's a real shame. And I'm glad it was us. It's just a shame they got his freaking name wrong. Um, oh, I don't know. I, I mean, what what do we do with that that, that mindset? You, you can't change it. I know Dobson said we'll give him all the help he needs, and they said at the fans' forum they'll give him all the help he needs. But the help he needs is to get yourself into that football club and use that to help whatever's going on in life. Surely, you or couldn't like- have anybody. You couldn't have anybody better than Ainsworth and Dobson as your manager. If you like, he's on a downward spiral in his career. And and his life potentially, you know, he was he's gone from being a Manchester City player to a Brighton player to not even getting in at QPR. You know, Dobson and Ainsworth are sort of leading figures in this country for palliative care and things like that. And you know, the help is there if he wants it. You know, but I think uh, one of the pointed remarks Dobson gave to you guys was, uh, "You love love coaching and working with players who want to help themselves." Um, which was a, a pointed remark, I thought. Uh, but you know what? We'll take all that aside, and we've had a wee moan and everything else. But I have to say, and Clive, you touched on it earlier on, the spring was coming on before that. But it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. 
and Chur actually trying to stand on it as well. And then a couple of other players handed over a little bit sheepishly to stand on the sprinklers as well. I thought, my God, we're going to man-to-man walking, marking and flicking sprinklers. That's QPR, isn't it? That's a the, It hit the referee. The first bit, it hit the ref. He, and he was right underneath it. He was right underneath it. It was like, it's like one of those... Trying to remember, it was like the scene from Fountains of Wayne Stacey's mum with Rachel Hunter at the end, <laughs> where she ends up going out, going out. It was it was just absolutely bizarre. And yeah, and it, and to be honest, it was about the only bit of entertainment that we had in the entire first half. I wish it had been Rachel Hunter. I'm sure it was. Yeah. <laughs> and, she'd have put, and to be fair, Rachel Hunter would have would have refereed the game better as well. <laughs> yeah, she would have seen that handball. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I expect the referees, but I understand that was his first football league game last night. Am I right, Clive? Championship game, to be fair to him. First, first championship game. Do you know what? I feel I feel a tiny bit sorry for him with the with the goal. I mean, it's, yeah, well, blatant. it's blatant, so he should have seen it. Or the line, at least. But if he hasn't seen it, you would hope for some assistance in your first championship game from a much more experienced linesman on the far side. And honestly... That guy, he couldn't have done a worse job of running the line on the side on that side last night had he stuffed the flag up his ass and waddled around like a duck for 90 minutes. But he was awful. There were stuff flagged offside that wasn't, stuff waved on that was. He's missed that handball for the guy. He was all over the show. So, you know, your first championship game as a referee, and he's obviously young. He looks young to me. Um, it's a big moment and there's a big decision to make after five minutes and you know what, you've got it wrong. But for them to send him that linesman and Keith Stroud as fourth official, like, <laughs> fucking hell, what, what, what else are you going to do? You tie his legs together, make him referee with his bloody legs tied together or something. Like, how, make it easy for the guy. Like, Yeah, not, not great. So we're going to go on to prediction and Friday. Friday night in Birmingham, eh? I mean, does life get much better than that, Clive? <laughs> I I was so looking forward to seeing Ethan and Tyler again, but apparently they're injured. I just, which I, just I can't believe it. I had to have a bit of a sit down early when I heard that. Uh, bit of tightness apparently. A couple of weeks and they'll be okay. Uh, but yeah, it's just terrible. Can't, I mean, how unlucky and, and unfortunate and unusual for for Tyler and Ethan not to be joining us on Friday. Just stunning news. At least someone could have warned them. Yes, if only it hadn't been blatantly fucking obvious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> going to be a tricky old game, though, isn't it? Let's be honest; it's not going to be easy by any stretch of imagination. They can actually shoot straight. They've started the se- they started the season well, but I think they're without a winning four. Oh, yeah, they've fallen away a bit. Yeah, they've just fallen away a little bit. So maybe and. I do wonder, and I did wonder before, you know, we took one point from the home games. I said on our message board whether this new style that we're playing maybe suits away games better. So, you know, who knows? Our away record is actually pretty good. Um, so, no, I don't, th- I don't think we'll get anything. <laughs> I think it's a tough game. But I didn't think we'd get anything at Middlesbrough either or Cardiff. So, so you know, basically, I think, see, right? I think, luckily for you, I'm in the same train you're going down on, you lucky lad. And it'll all be heading back on the twenty three fifteen, which oh, what the fun the fun express at twenty three fifteen that sits at Milton Keynes for half an hour in the middle of the night. Yeah, that's going to be a real treat. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we do it, isn't it? Let's be honest. I mean, personally, I'll take a draw. I'll be honest with you, but I'll take a draw. Yeah, I would. would you, Simon? Do you think we can? But can we nick the three points? I mean, they're not. They're not 
unbeatable, are they? They're very well, there's no doubt we can take three points. Again, they played they played Watford and a couple of Watford fans who were working at the school went to the game and weren't impressed with them. Uh, but again, it goes back to, yeah, the, the waveform, it suits us. It suits us a lot, lot more. Um, the only concern you'd have is not having Cole, is not having Cole back in the middle. Maybe they'll listen to the podcast and do what you and Clive said. I think that's a great show. <laughs> I wouldn't listen to us. <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that. No. I wouldn't do that. You've got to pick up the podcast last month, you know. Of course it will. It's, the insight is amazing. But yeah, that 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 that, that pub pub train, well, pub train. Well, it, is, it, it, it will, will be like I'm putting yeah. the pub on wheels. It's going to be hilarious, isn't it? I mean, it's just going to be absolutely carnage. And then I've got an end run from Houston to get the last train back to Barnet, which I think is 140. But hey, I'm happy to do that for this football team as long as we win. Now, so predictions, I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to stick my arse in my head here, which, well, mind you, God did that before I did. Um, I think we'll win 2 0. Simon? I'll go 1 1. Go on, Mr. Birthday Boy. Well, go on then. Win, win, you've gone and win a draw. I, t- I, t- I think we'll probably get beat, but. Like I say, I said that at Middlesbrough, and I'm I'm basically saying that because I put a win as a prediction down for last night, so I blame myself, and I'm now going to return to my previous strategy of predicting us to lose every game, so as not to, <laughs> not to curse it. Are you normally this miserable on your birthday? Yeah, I was I was wondering if we'd get all the way through without you raising that, but uh, but yeah, well. Well, you're 39, Clive. I mean, it's not my it's not my favorite day of the year, to be perfectly honest well, with next, you. Next year's a big one, mate. Next year's when everything starts falling apart. Well, I might be dead by then. Let's be honest. Like lifestyle choices. Let's not let's not take anything for granted just yet. I thought I was fucking miserable. Jesus, you make me look like I don't know, Frankie bloody hard. I tell you, Jesus. <laughs> um, right, Clive. There was an interesting exchange on Twitter, was it not, last week between this was going. Yeah, are you asking me this for my R's end? Yeah. Yes. I just wonder, I would say I'd be interested to know what you thought. Ian Ian McCullough is obviously the <laughs> journalist at West London Sport and has been pretty outwardly critical of Gareth Ainsworth <clears> since he got here and the, the style of play and some of the... Cho- and, you know, we know Ian and, he, you know, he can be pretty forthright in his uh, in his points of view. Like, you never... I, I've never left a conversation with Ian in doubt as to what he was thinking about whatever we were talking yeah. about at the time. Um, and he was, you know, he was pretty caustic about in, in his remarks about the setup and how we played with 10 men against Sunderland. I thought it was a little harsh because, like we say, Sunderland are a good team and it was a billion degrees and it's, you know, 10 men, you cut blah, 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 70 minutes, all of that that we've already said. So maybe a little harsh, but I didn't think it was unfair of him to say that the plan in the second half basically didn't exist because, as Sai said earlier, I couldn't really tell what what the plan was other than to sit there with everyone behind the ball and presumably drag 1-1 or 2-1 perhaps into the last five minutes. And then if we've got anything left in the tank, maybe we'll sneak an equaliser. But... You know, as plans go, it wasn't it wasn't Baldrick levels, was it? So I don't think it was that unfair what he said. And obviously Steve Cook has then steamed into him and basically said, uh, you know, with your vast football knowledge, what do you think we should have done? Um, which puts Ian in a bit of a difficult position. And I don't I don't like it when people in football say that basically unless you've played the game yeah. or managed the game or whatever, you know nothing about football. But then I come on podcasts like this and run a website, wouldn't I? So I kind of have to say that. Um, 
so yeah, I just wonder what like what you guys thought about it first of all, and like like I say, I think the criticism was a little bit harsh on Saturday. And Steve Cook, I like the fact that we've got a bit of personality and experience and voice and anger about us, and I you know I think he's a good signing because we've all spoken about lacking that in recent years. So fair play for him coming out and sticking up for his team. I would just say, and it's the same thing I said at the fans forum. We've won one of 18 home games. You know, people are fed up. You put the season ticket prices up in the middle of that run. You've had two home games this week, including a very winnable one, and you haven't done it. It's a, it's an interesting strategy, and it's possibly an ill-advised and a rocky road to go down to start turning around to people criticising you. You know, put a few results on the board, and then we'll, and then you know, at home, and then we'll talk. I just. Yeah, but I guess I would say that because I'm pretty critical of them as well and obviously run a website and whatever, and I'm pretty I'm just pretty glad that it wasn't me that he turned on. Um <laughs> but but yeah, I just I thought it was an interesting exchange. I large I largely agree with I think the first half it is harsh because again, as I mentioned earlier in the Sunderland one, we did we did show what we could do potentially on the break. And I thought that was that was going to be the plan, but I think I think correct me if I'm wrong. McCulloch sent that tweet halfway through the second half. It wasn't it wasn't it wasn't done in the first half or anything like that. And yeah, to be fair, I could understand. I can understand why he said that because it goes back to what we said. We the plan was about eighteen. Yeah, loads of, play nine naught one or eight naught one and have Sinclair about forty yards in front of everyone. There was no and actually we had a stage in the second half, didn't we, where most of the substitutions that Ainsworth was making were almost looking at Tuesday night. So when we went two one when we went two one down, the lights of Cook going off um and others going off as well just seemed to be he'd almost have said, right, we'll stick we'll we'll forget about this. And we'll go for the game on Tuesday night. Now, that makes perfect sense if we win on Tuesday, which obviously we didn't. Yeah. And we were and we were clunky. So thinking of things in the long term, thinking of things in the long term, people can sometimes tie yourself up in knots. I know about, yes, we know about the fitness. And to be fair, the fitness has been much, much better, much less injuries. But I think where we are at the moment, we sometimes have to think about, winning the game that's put in front of us instead of having a look at games two, three times down the line. Um, you know, I follow my cricket. England did that a couple of years ago where we would basically tie ourselves up in knots by not picking players for a certain series and then just relying on an Ashes or something like that where we'd end up losing 4-0 in Australia. And at the end of it, it's a complete... At the end, it's a complete waste of time. So there needs to be a balancing act between the sort of look for the future... And not, and certainly not go down the Mick Beale route to play Chris Willock about three weeks before he's fit. Yeah. But there does need to be a balance between. There needs to be a balance between the two. The two, uh, the two things I would add to that. Number one, we didn't say in the fans room that Ben Williams, the fitness guy, actually did get up on the stage and do ten minutes, and I thought it was very, very impressive. Um, and I think they got him there deliberately because they knew he would be. I, you can, I can imagine that guy gets good job. I can imagine he's a very good uh, guy in a job interview. Um, and to be fair to him, the fitness at the moment, it is happening as he said it would. We are getting up to speed and we've scored in injury time last night, which is a good sign. And we do have very few injuries. Um, 
so so he was impressive. The other thing I would say, and like I said, Ian, you know, he's entitled to his opinion and he has been very critical of Ainsworth and I'm very critical. You know, as we've said, as you said earlier, Paul, I'm a miserable bastard. But have you been given or two yet? Yeah, what I... <laughs> God, yeah, don't bring that up. Um, <laughs> what I would say is everything that... We, like every criticism of Ainsworth, his substitutions or his signings or his tactics or whatever we think has to be set in the context of what he inherited here and the money he's got to do anything about that. Because he inherited an absolute fuck-tastrophe here last year. It was I'm a, It should have gone down. I'm amazed it didn't. He's just got problems coming out of his ears and no budget to do anything about it. So whenever we're saying, oh, I don't really like his post-match interview, or I didn't like his substitutions, or I didn't think we had a very good plan when we were down to 10 men against Sunderland, I do think it has to be set in the context of what he's inherited here. I totally agree. I think, as I've known him for many a year, he, he, when he came back from Australia, he was on the podcast, and I think while he was in Australia, he might have been even on. Anyway, but um, I, and I think perhaps where the cook didn't realise, Ian's also a fan as well as a journalist, and maybe he didn't pick up on that. Um, because what you don't want is players addressing fans and then shutting fans down. Um, I said, no, I, I, shutting them down no like we're entitled to our opinion and like I say we're paying high season ticket prices and we've won one game but I don't I don't actually mind Steve Cook having a say like we have plenty to say about him and his team so if he wants to come back at it I don't actually have that much of a, a problem with it I don't think I didn't like his your vast football knowledge dig I just I've never liked that Steve Claridge used to be like that when he was a pundit you know, he'd sit on Five Live and someone would ring with an opinion and he'd basically sit there and say, well, I've played football and you haven't, so I'm right and you're wrong. And I've never I've never really been a big fan of that. Well, it's always that kind of thing of, of a lot of the old school do, don't they? Well, if you've never managed, how can you have an opinion? Well, I've watched enough shit in my life, so I do form an opinion. And yeah, but I mean, I, I used the wrong word there, but it's, it's an interesting one that he did it. I don't think Ian said anything outrageously bad. I mean, Ian has been very, 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 very critical to Ian with to his face and through other various means. And he's every right to do that. It's his job. Um, sometimes I think it's been a bit harsh, but that's just me. So I do. I, I'm with I'm with you guys. I think Ian with. I don't think he's got a chance. I don't. Think, I think as we've said many times, I've never seen a manager get so much grief so quickly, when a lot of it wasn't down to him. Um, you know, Les left. He's they're trying to sort a DOF out, or they're not going to sort it out. He's in limbo. He's got players that are turning up that aren't turning up. Got a lot of things going on. He's got a player that doesn't want to be here. I mean, one more than one. So he's trying his best, and I think people are thinking that he walked into stuff and made it worse. Perhaps the other side of it is, if he hadn't have walked in, could we have gone down without him? We would definitely go down with Critchley. No two ways about it. So I don't know. It's it's just it's just sad because you. Do, you know, he he does love the club. For real, I mean, I'm sick of people coming in and saying, oh, I love this place. It's marvellous best. You know the bullshit. Steve McLaren being a prime example. But, um, <laughs> you know, that meeting I'll never forget. Um, and But he does care. And I just think that this could be a chance. But as Clive also says, and Simon, we know, one win in 18 isn't good at home. It's just not good enough. It needs to improve. So, yeah, but going back, I did feel a bit sorry for it. Ian because the trouble with being football fans is when someone tells you off as a player or a manager you do take it very personally because it's your club you do love it and it's kind of like oh we're being told off like Clive was put in the naughty step with Ian's with over 4-4-2 and I thought that was hilarious but um, 
But, you well, know, okay, can I just address that? You've raised that twice now. The four four two thing was that they, they the first you have to fill in the season preview for four four two in the middle of June. At which point we'd sign nobody. Les was still here. And you have to do a season preview. We've obviously just come off the last bit of last season. They ask you about 25 questions and you send them 2,000 words and they pick out the five that they like the best and 200 words of it makes the magazine. And in my case, they picked out every, the harshest things I said, they picked out and used and all the context and whatever, they just stripped out. And then they predicted us to finish 24th. And then I had to go in and interview Gareth the following day. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like oh, my God, you guys have sold me an absolute <laughs> hospital pass here. Thanks a lot. Someone had told young Clive that something he wrote would end up in the QPR dressing room wall. You'd have been chuffed to bits. Well, yeah. I mean, they're going to need a bigger wall, aren't they? Some of the stuff that's being written about them at the minute. But, yeah, so, yeah, it wasn't my – I just – my heart, honestly, and my stomach when I saw it, when it landed on my doorstep and I was going to meet Ainsworth the following day, I actually sort of messaged Paul Morrissey and I was like, look, this is not a fair reflection on what I've said. Can you, like, if Gareth if Gareth raises it, can you please like, say, you know, there was a little more nuance in the comments. Um, yeah, and some of it, some of the editing on that was a little bit naughty, but yeah, I, you know, I can't say that I didn't say those things because I did. did. Have you made up? He was fine with it, yeah. Like you know, he mentioned it a couple of times. Like, but I mean, the prediction's not mine. The prediction's theirs. Um, yeah, he was fine. He was he was great. Like when when we went and met him, like he's he give you all the time, and he's you know he's a decent fella, as you say. And the the what he inherited here was disastrous. So I just try and set all the criticism I've got of whatever's happening in the context of the disaster he inherited. Exactly. Nice, Simon. You're always in the show. Have you thought of anything? Have you got anything? Yeah, I have. I, I mean, I, lo- I love going to my away games. I love, yeah, mo- it's it's great. We really enjoy going there. Um, however, Leeds United, 5th of October, train strike, and their decision to think that it's appropriate for that bit of Leeds' ground to charge £45, there's only so much, there's only so much that people in a cost-of-living crisis and everything else can actually take. I think, I suspect, even if it was a Saturday and they said £45 to go to a game, of, to go to a game of championship football, they'd take in the absolute mick. So there has to be a line in the sand sometimes. And surely there must be clubs around in the championship who aren't happy with the fact that they paid £45. I mean, I heard Bristol City... Um, did a bit of a negotiation after a fan's outcry and they've done a reciprocal of £30. Surely, surely Leeds should be reflecting on this and thinking that charging £45 for an away fan to watch a game of championship football is absolutely ridiculous. It's a scandal. I think Wednesday similar isn't it Clive Wednesday's about I think yeah it's absolutely disgusting echo everything that's been said the one puzzling thing I did have is that when Leeds got some grief for that in the summer they said that they would do a reciprocal with away teams and charge what charge what is charged of Leeds fans in the other fixture now we know that we know what Lee who's has said about ticket prices and making the most of every seat and FFP and you know small ground and whatever so we know he's never going to agree with Leeds to do £20 for them and £20 for us. 
However, I think we charge, what, 34 and 37 in the school end. So I was expecting Leeds tickets to be 34 and 37 as part of the reciprocal. And I don't understand why that hasn't happened. Um, £45 is disgusting. The smallest QPR attendance I've ever been in, I think, was when you used to get the little cheese wedge corner at Leeds and we drew 1-1 up there. Michael Mika scored. And I reckon there's about 50 QPR fans there. And I think at those prices on a train strike day up to Leeds, you know, probably going to lose the game. I'd be amazed. Like, I'd be amazed if we even make triple figures for that. If we do, you're all nuts. Uh, and I'll obviously see you there. Um, <laughs> somebody mentioned the Ipswich at Chef Wednesday that we can got charged 52. So we might have that to look forward to. You serious? That's what I heard. I haven't checked it out. Like my As my old news editor used to tell me, that's too good to check. So I haven't, uh, but I will do so afterwards. But yes, somebody said that Ipswich would be in charge more than 50 sheets. It's insanity, isn't it? It's and they, insanity. they sold it out. And, you know, that's, you know, until fans en masse just say no more, they're going to keep being bent over like this, aren't they? Yeah, but that's not going to happen. No, of um, course it's not, because they know that it's our club and, you know, that's what we do. Like, if it was if it was £150 a ticket and it was on the moon, I'd be at the Leeds game, because you know, because it's what we do. And they know that. So you sort of trapped in a vicious circle of just constantly being taken advantage of, aren't you? Well, I think it's, it's gross, and I think, but then again, I think our away ticket prices are too high as well. But the, what do I know? You know, Championship football should be between twenty-five and thirty max, no more. Um, if you want to grow a fan base, grow a league, that's what you do. But then, as you said, Clive, if they charge you fifty quid and they sell it out, they're not going to. You know, your argument's gone. You know, it's a bit like my new fans. They buy the protest scarves from the club shop. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, the Man United, those, those green and gold scarves only come out when they're losing, innit? It's like, oh, we've gone 3-0 down to Brighton. Go get the Norwich scarves. That, that <laughs> an absolute joke, that. Like. All right. Well, listen, I'm going to end the podcast because we can sit here all night and um, I've enjoyed it. It's been good. Clive, it's been good to have you back. Don't be a stranger. You know you're always welcome. No worries, mate. I've enjoyed uh, enjoyed uh, speaking to you, and uh, yeah, I'll see you. I'll see you on Friday. You will do. You'll see me earlier. You want to probably, um, and um, <laughs> whether I want to or not, I'll see you on Friday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See you at Marleybourne, son. Um, Simon, as always, a pleasure, and um, I will got to talk to you about Huddersfield. Yeah, well, definitely. Um, yeah, I'm definitely going to do definitely do Huddersfield. So yeah. Let us know, but, but with the news that Huddersfield stations, um, I was just going to say, have you got yeah, Huddersfield say, you guys shut? Right I here. suspect, I suspect, I might well be driving up there. All right, mate. Well, listen, you take care of yourselves, and um, hopefully, we, when we come back next week, we'll have three more points in the bag, and we'll be a little bit more uplifted, and um, we won't have to talk about pies at fans' forums. Goodbye,